I got, I got a couple things to talk about as we get started. Uh, the first one is if you're in California, our government, our county, CDC, no one's on the same page. We have no idea what's going on. They all say different things all the time. So what we have decided to do at Element is we are going to kind of run along the vein of the CDC right now, which has said that if you're vaccinated and if you're in a group of under 5,000 people, you, okay, you don't have to wear a mask. We want to throw it out there for you. And I mentioned it on a video we stuck up on Instagram last week, and someone responded with, are you going to be checking papers? We're not the Gestapo. We're not going to be like, show me your papers. Can you get inside? We're not going to do that. I, I guess all Germans sound angry. That's my German accent. Um, no, we're not checking. You're adults. You can take care of yourself. We understand that, but that's where we're going to be. Now, on June 15th, the state has said they're going to reopen, whatever that means. We'll see what happens when that happens. Um, but up until June 15th, the kids, the workers in our kids' classrooms will wear masks until June 15th. At that point, it will be optional for them as well. Just want you to know that and understand that. Uh, if you come to Element and you want to wear a mask, awesome, great. There is no judgment. At least there shouldn't be any. If you don't want to wear a mask, there is no judgment. At least there shouldn't be any. And that's we want to be a people who don't spend all of our time focusing on all these different crazy things that are going around. We want to focus our time on who Jesus is. So how about we be those people who lift up grace and goodness and love one another and stop being all crazy about all these things and begin to love one another as God calls us to. And a car is leaving, apparently, now. because said, no. Uh, so let's, let's be those people because God, God is good. Okay, uh, second thing is, in the vein of all of that, we have these surveys that we want everybody at Element to fill out who's here or watching online. Uh, if you're in the room and you want to do a digital version, you can scan the QR code. I'll put in the email update this week. If you want a hard copy, uh, there are three pages. If we were... If we wanted to, we could have printed it on front and back and only made a page and a half, but whatever. Uh, So it's three pages. I know it sounds like a lot, but it's not. A lot of them are just checking boxes. And we just want to see where you are, what's going on in your minds at this time, to help us as we kind of step into this new, old, redeemed season that's coming up, what we should be doing as a church to better reach you and those around you with the gospel. How can we come alongside and partner with you and extend the gospel out into our world just to be those people. So if you would grab one and fill it out, please do not stick it in the offering box because our offering boxes are small and only one would fit in it. If you fill it out today, you can hand it to Sarah in the back, take it home, bring it back next week, fill out the one online, whichever you want to do, it's all great. So I see none of you are rushing to grab one of these. It's okay. All right, Uh, if you are new to Element, Welcome. Uh, There are Bibles on all the communion tables throughout the room. If you don't own one, we'd love for you to have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. And if you don't want to take that home, you can put it back when you're done. Or if you want to keep it, you can also keep that as well. Uh, We have these sermon notes also on the communion tables. They look like this. These sermon notes, this is actually Michael's favorite sermon note because you don't even see the prophet in this one. He just got his hand sticking out, the fish mouth hanging onto his staff. Which is great. So these are like our baseball cards for the miners. And so you got the, the picture of the prophet. And on the back, you're going to get some stats, uh, a question that reflects on the message today, and then the verses that we go through. And you can grab one of those. Or, or if you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. If you're in our local area, we will come up. You'll come up by GPS on your smartphone. If not, just type in the zip code 93455, and you will get the sermon notes, verses, the question, the announcements, everything that goes with today's message, including the link to that questionnaire as well. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? 
And this is Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Let's pray. Father, today we ask that you would take us as a people and teach us what it means in our world to cry out about who you are to those who are around us, that we would speak of the good news of the gospel and how, yes, we have run from you and and our sin is terrible, but yet you are good and call us back to yourself. Teach us to be those who are your priests to the world that is around us and we would speak of who you are and how we live and the words that we say. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this uh, series of the last 12 books of the Old Testament. We call it the Minor Prophets. Uh, They're not minor because they were under 18. Uh, They're not minor because they like to sing in minor keys. They're not minor because they're JV as opposed to varsity. Minor just simply means their books are relatively shorter compared to longer books like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. And what's going to start to happen when you hit later in June and July is I'm going to have some other people start sharing one-week overviews. In this series of 12, five of them are actually going to be given by other people. You've only seen Steve so far, but there are other people coming. I promise they're in the wings. They're waiting. Uh, Now, I kind of sent this thing out and I said, what books do you guys want to do? Nobody picked the book of Jonah, which is interesting to me because I think it's one of the most fun books, except for how I'm going to cover it today. It's going to be really serious. Uh, But but I think that might be because in 2008, when we launched Element, we actually did a four-week series through Jonah. And then in 2015, we did a series called Coloring Book All-Stars, and we did a one-week overview. In 2019, we did one called Miracles and a one-week overview of Jonah there, too. So maybe people thought there's nothing else we could cover in the book of Jonah. And I think there is. So today, we're not going to talk a lot about this big fish. If you don't know what that is, I'll explain what happens there. We're not going to talk about like half a million Ninevites who come to trust in God in, in Nineveh. I'll briefly touch on that. What I want to do is talk about what happens when, he, when Jonah is in the belly of this fish. And most of that takes place in Jonah chapter 2. And so we're going to kind of spend our time there. In case you've never heard the story of Jonah, this is how it goes. God shows up and he appoints Jonah to be a prophet to go give a message to one of the most evil cities on the face of the earth at that time, the Ninevites. Uh, Nineveh is in the nation of Syria. It's on the east bank of the Tigris River. Jonah was written during the reign of King Jeroboam II. That's roughly 800 years before Jesus came. And uh, Jeroboam part two, he was not a good king. Uh, During his reign, the prophet it's Amos, Joel, and Hosea. We'll speak. Hosea is the first week that we started uh, during this series. And at this time, Israel is very prosperous, very prosperous, but steeped in sin because of their prosperity. And in their sin, they didn't see sin in themselves. They only saw it in everybody else around them. We're okay, but everybody else is messed up. So glad we outgrew that. Now, the role of a prophet was to come and point out sin in God's people to call them back to God himself. And it's interesting because Jonah is the only Old Testament prophet specifically sent to a nation other than Israel. When we tend to think of prophets, we think, oh, someone out on the street corner telling all those horrible sinners how bad they are. Well, in the scriptures, the prophets went to God's people and said, you guys are not following the God you say that you serve. You need to come back. You need to repent. You need to return. But here, Jonah goes to somebody else. So it's unique. Now, you can open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. 
If you have an Element Bible, it's on page 502 and 503. Again, shorter book, kind of hard to find. If you have the app, you're going to be right there. Uh, There's another prophet that comes on a bit later. His name is Nahum, and he really lets you know what the Assyrians were like. And you can see if this relates to anything in our world today. Uh, They were prideful. They focused on what they believed was true rather than what was actually true, like God says those ultimate reality. They think they know more than God, and so they live their life self-focused. This is my truth. That's your truth. We all have our own truth. We're going to live our own truth. They were also cruel in their pride. Uh, Nahum will list the sins of murder, devaluing those they conquered. They would bash babies' heads against rocks and conquered cities. They would stack the bodies of dead in the streets. They were full of black magic. Uh, they had bizarre sexual practices that would make Hugh Hefner blush if he wasn't dead. And it's like I said before, it's like a country run by the DMV. They are like arrogant and cruel. Sorry to work at the DMV. Uh, and cruel. The Assyrians have been the bitter enemy of the Hebrew people for generations. They have tried to wipe Israel off the map on three separate occasions, and God sends Jonah there. You know why? Because God loves them. Because God, just like us, it's like those people need to come to me. I'm going to send someone to them. And so God sends a prophet to him. Now, Jonah, on the other hand, doesn't want the people in Nineveh to hear about God because they just might believe and get saved. He's like, I don't want that to happen. So what Jonah does when God gives him this call is he says, I'm going to go in the exact opposite direction of what God calls me to. And he runs down to this port city, hops on a ship, most likely crewed by pagan sailors, and tries to go to the opposite end of the known world. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he hops on this ship, thinking he's going to go somewhere where God can't find him. Which is always interesting to me that when we start to do a bunch of dumb things, we think God won't see us if we don't go to church. Well, I won't go to church. The walls will fall down. The lightning will strike me. It's like... Your God is very small if he only lives in this room. And so Jonah's the same way, though. I'm going to hop on this boat. I'm going to go over here. God won't see me. Now, throughout the scriptures, you see these threads of sin and grace and how they get woven together. And what you typically see is sin is how we run from God. And grace is how God comes and pursues that running sinner and brings them back to himself. And so Jonah ends up on this boat, and God will send winds and rains and storms. The ship is almost going under. Nobody knows why except for Jonah, who doesn't say anything for a whole bit of the journey. They start trying to throw over their tackle and all this stuff. And finally, Jonah's like, you know, guys, this is my fault. If you just throw me over the side, then God will spare you. And instead, what these pagan sailors do is they keep throwing over their cargo, trying to save Jonah. The pagan people who Jonah most likely looked down on tried to save him. And I think this starts to change Jonah a bit. I think Jonah starts to look at this and thinks, maybe we're all rebels against God, and God is coming to save all of us in whatever ways that God does that. And eventually, he gets to the point, he says, you guys really just need to toss me over the side. God will take care of me. I might die, but you guys will be okay. And then they do. And as soon as they throw him over, it becomes calm. And then Jonah 1.16 says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I'll come back to that a little bit later. But what you see is Jonah's call was to go to a people who didn't know God and tell them about God. And he runs away from it to the opposite side of the earth. And what happens is he hooks up with pagan sailors who don't know God, and he tells them about God. The very call that he is running from. These sailors start to worship God. They pledge themselves to him. And so the call Jonah is running from, what he refused to do, is exactly what he ended up doing. Which shows you 
Two things. Like I said this in 2019, there's only two ways to be obedient to God. The shortcut's just doing it. The second way is the longer way, and it's much more entertaining, uh, but it's Jonah's way. God's will still gets done. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now what I want to do is talk to you about what happens to Jonah in the belly of that fish. Because, yes, a fish swallowing somebody, sure, that could be a miracle. But what happens to Jonah, I think, is the bigger miracle. And a lot of people, they get very distracted by the fish. I get it. They're like, oh my goodness, the fish. And some people will say, silly Christians, people don't live in fish. Like, Christians are going to be like, what? People don't live in fish? I had no idea. Doesn't the Bible say they live in fish? The Bible doesn't say they live in fish. That's not what this is telling you. The whole point is what God is going to do in Jonah and ultimately do in the person of Jesus Christ. God is going to come in the person of Jesus. He is going to allow us to place our hands on him. He will die in our place for our sins. He'll be placed in the tomb three days and rise from the grave. That's the miracle. And Jesus will come and tell you the whole point of Jonah and his three days in this fish is to point to what he would ultimately do in what we call the gospel. It's beautiful. That's in Luke chapter 11. And now, there have been some accounts, historically speaking, of people being swallowed by big fish and being puked up a few days later. It, it, it has apparently happened, but they're covered in stomach acid and they smell really bad and it's not pleasant at all. This is what I think happened to Jonah. I don't think Jonah in the belly of the fish was like Pinocchio and it's like a big cave and here's a little fire and I'm hanging out for my three days. I think it was terrible. I think he's got a whale tongue stuck to the side of his face thinking he's dying and going to hell and this is what you read. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the the Lord is God from the belly of the fish. And every time I read that, I think, I bet he did. <laughs> so would I. <laughs> Again, you see God gives Jonah and us two choices. Go where he says or do it your own way, but he will still get his purposes done. God still works in our disobedience. We are just miserable in the process. And what you'll see is those sailors get saved in Jonah 1. and Jonah chapter 3 and 4, the Ninevites will actually come to be saved and, and believe. But you will also see in Jonah chapter 2 where Jonah gets converted. He didn't think he needed to be converted. He thought he was from the people of God. And yet God does this thing in his life to bring Jonah to himself. And what you will see is almost this sanctification process in Jonah's life. Sanctification is a, is a big word that kind of means salvation in present time, where God is taking and conforming us more and more to the image and likeness of his son. But God does it in his way, in his timing. And when that happens, sometimes it does get messy when God pursues us. So Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Shoal, that's the grave, because Jonah thought he was going to die probably before the fish got a hold of him, I cried, and you heard my voice. Now this is where I want to sit for a bit and kind of talk about this. The prophet finds himself in turmoil in the belly of a beast because of his own decisions. Now we spent eight weeks going to the book of Job just a few weeks ago. And in the book of Job, that happens through no fault of Job's own. Here, this comes about directly because of what Jonah did. And he does what we all do typically in times of distress is we look for something to save us. Whether we cry out to God or somebody else or we look for drugs or some substance to get us out of the mess that we are in. When I wrote this message, the coronavirus was in full swing. Element was shut down. We're doing everything online. I had a cold. It wasn't COVID. I didn't get checked. I'm just saying it wasn't. Uh, and some government officials actually started to call for prayer. 
And when they started to do that, other people started to mock them and say, oh, you call for prayer now? It seems interesting that when we get into places of distress, those are the times when we start to call out for help. That's where Jonah goes. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. This is the first place in Jonah a prophet of God actually talks to God. All the other times, like, God's talking to me. Oh, I'm going to run the other way. In his distress is when he starts to call out to God. Now, I think we know this, even if it's not COVID-19 or being swallowed by a fish. Uh, college finals, and you didn't study. Um, maybe you ran that semi-pinkish light, and there, you look up in the rearview mirror, there's a cop behind you, and you're like, oh, please don't pull me over. Uh, maybe you stole the N95 mask and TP from your workplace, and you got caught. Or maybe your girlfriend's pregnant, or you're the girlfriend, and you got pregnant. Oh, God, help me. We have to understand, God has been helping us. God is our help. He has been there every day protecting us. And again, when someone says, oh, we should pray during the COVID-19 outbreak, people were, other people responded, well, it hasn't stopped mass shootings. And I think, what a small and limited perspective. Because God does so much for us every single day, and yet we fail to realize it because God is just so good. We start to take God for granted. Did you eat recently? Did you sleep in a bed? Did you die from the COVID-19? In the USA, we don't want for things like people do in the rest of the world. When our government tells us to get locked in, they even send you cash. It's, it's weird. If, if I'm cold at home, I turn on the heater. I get in the car and it's hot, I turn on the AC. I go to the store, people bought all the bottled water. I can go home and turn on the tap and I don't get the runs. It's amazing. We are always forgetting the providence of God. And we are just like Jonah who I think God has been so good to him his entire life that he forgets to see the providence of every single day. And in the moment in the belly of the beast, that's when he gets clarity. And yes, I think there are some times that, you know, God doesn't answer us for specific reasons when we're distressed or when we're in pain. We start to think that God doesn't hear, but God does hear. Years ago, uh, I came across this article in Backpacker Magazine. I know you're totally like, what? Because backpacking is, combines my two least favorite activities, which is walking and camping. Um, but it came across in my news feed, and it was really in- interesting. It's one of those stories that kind of pop up because of things that, that I like to read. And it's a story of a guy named Mike Turner who was a pastor. And he went out to get some clarity from God. So he goes on this, this backpacking trip just himself. And he starts to hike out to get to seek God's face and hear what God wants to say to him. Three days in, rock slide. And he falls down this thing and ends up getting jammed between two rocks. And then he's just 30 feet from water. He will last 10 days and then he will die. The entire time, he writes in his journal about what is going on. And Backpacker Magazine, not a Christian publication, prints much of the things that he says. And I'm going to read you some of the stuff that he writes, because I think sometimes Jonah in the belly of a fish with the big O tongue, it doesn't relate to us as much. This might relate a little bit more. So he's there, he's in anguish, trapped between the rocks, and this is what he writes. I am, conv- I am concerned about first losing my legs, second running out of snow to melt for water and fuel, third hypothermia. My biggest concern is water. I have only two quarts left. The irony is that the lake is only 30 feet away. I am drinking one quart today, saving a quart for tomorrow. I am also saving my urine. I wonder how will taste with crystal light. <laughs> a couple days in, good spirits, right? A couple days later, he writes this. God is with me, but I am angry with him. Why this terrible injustice, or is it the product of pride? How am I failing him, or what does he need me to teach? What is the purpose of this ordeal? Will I ever know or continue to be puzzled, angered, and feel quite abandoned by the one I serve? 
A couple days later, he writes this. I felt like I had to get out and began working from 9 p.m. to 12, slowly levering the rock. Now it is tighter. I cried out and cried out to God who doesn't seem to care about my suffering, struggling, and pain and the loss of my left leg. I begged and prayed for some help in moving the rock, but none seemed to come. Do you see how the thoughts start to go? Okay, God, what do I need to learn? If I learn this thing, then you will do this for me, and then you will let me out of this rock. You'll give me the thing that I want. We start to bargain with God. We start to cry out in these places. The last day he is alive, this is is what he he writes. Uh, He actually writes the one if you give him hope. This is what he says. Fill me with peace, Lord. May my conditions not deny my love for you. I am ready to die, though missing my family. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I will trust in God, though he will slay me, yet I will trust in him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. What he does is he quotes Job thirteen fifteen, where Job cries the same thing, where Job says, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. It's the idea that in the end, through this turmoil, it actually led Mike Turner to a deeper place of faith and hope and trust. It's like the boulder could crush his legs, but it could not crush his faith. Now, there's something in us when we read something like this and we say, well, where was God in the midst of that? Where was God? Actually, if you read some of the comments that come in Packer Back, Back Magazine online, they ask that question, why would you trust this God? Because we have to understand on our side, if we truly believe in the sovereignty of God, that God is good, that God is who he says that he is, then we understand that everything that comes into our lives, whether it's something that we have done or something that just hits us, God will always do what is right. Even if we don't understand it, even if we might think it's wrong, God always does what is right. And we as Christians have this perspective of eternal life. Like we know Mike Turner is in a better place. But in the midst of our pain, we don't look through it that, through that lens. We look through it through a human lens. We have our understanding versus God's. And our understanding becomes so myopic. It becomes so self-centered and nearsighted. We look to what we want to happen rather than what God wants to happen. And God is the one who sees all. What's interesting about Jonah is that he comes to this place and he says that God just, I don't just cry out to God in my distress. He says that God heard me. He knows that God hears him in this place. Much of Jonah's prayer in chapter two is taken from the book of Psalms. Like much of Mike Turner's is taken you know, from Job and what Jesus says. Mike Turner, Jonah, both turn to God in the midst of their deepest pain. And if we are honest about our lives, I think a lot of it can reflect Jonah's story and it parallels our struggle and sometimes our struggles with God. We tend to run from God when things get tough, whether we, people believe in God or not. We find ourselves in a chaotic situation and we cry out for relief. Now, the sad thing is, this is where a lot of skeptics in our world like to attack believers. They will say, oh, look at you. You need God as a crutch. Look at your life. It's so, so terrible. If you had a stronger will, you wouldn't have to cry out to God. But I always wonder, if a skeptic's faith is so strong in what they believe, why do they feel the need to attack a person of faith in that moment? Maybe their faith isn't as strong as they think in themselves. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That doesn't mean that, that God makes your problems go away. It means that we trust him wherever we find ourselves in our lives. We trust in him and not ourselves. And fallen human beings as we are, we always have this tendency on self-reliance. But we are not all-knowing and we are not all-powerful. One writer says this, self-reliance is a crutch in and of itself and often a poor one at that which is true. And so I think God has to bring Jonah to this point in his life, in this brokenness, as he runs away so that Jonah can be useful. And this may be the only way to do that. And as you start to examine Jonah's prayer from within this fish, the attitude that he comes to is something that really reflects a relationship with God. And I think it's good for us to see that. So what does Jonah say? Jonah says, out of my distress, I cried to the Lord, verse three, for you cast me into the deep. 
Now, that's not technically true because Jonah's the one that's like, throw me overboard, but we'll go with it. In the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me, all your waves and billows passed over me. He's in chaos. He's overwhelmed, stuck to a well tongue on the side of his face, being eaten by stomach acid. Verse 4, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Well, when Jonah's the one who first ran from God, yet shall I again look upon your holy temple. Now, this is the idea that I will see this. I know you are good. You will bring about good. I will see your temple because that's the center of an Israelite worship at this time. Now, these words are spoken before God gets Jonah out of the fish. It's like when Mike Turner's leg is still stuck in the rock. Hebrew prayers always had this thing of thanksgiving in the middle of them. It's a normal and natural part of their prayers. And Jonah's thanksgiving seems to be that God saved him from death, not that God saved him from the fish. He might still die in the fish. When, well, you see in just a moment, when Jonah prays some more of his prayer, he thought he was going to die. He's down in the depths. He's wrapped around by all these weeds that are coming to get him. He thinks he's just going to drown right there. And I think that's when the fish gets a hold of him. So he praises God for his life, even in the midst of the fish. God gives him another moment to remember how good God actually is. And when he says that, I will look again towards your holy temple. It's a reminder of what we are supposed to do when life gets difficult, when we're in the belly of the beast. We look to the sun. We look to Christ. We look to what God has done. And Jonah's prayer starts to emphasize the faithfulness of God as well as God's sovereign control over everything that happens. And it's cool that in spite of Jonah's disobedience, God does hear his cry. God doesn't tune Jonah out. This is just like us. How many times do we run from God? Do we do our own thing? And yet God continually comes back to call us to himself, to grow us to himself, to redeem us and bless us in spite of ourselves. God's mercy is clearly evident in Jonah because Jonah did not get what he deserved. And we don't get what we deserved. We get grace. Jonah is granted life, another chance to be able to go and do what God ordained him to do. When mankind first sins against God in Genesis chapter 3, God doesn't, he's not like, oh, scrap that, I'll just start over. That's what I would have done. But God doesn't do that. God sets a redemptive plan in place to rescue us. And I think, as I said, sometimes we just get so used to God's blessing in our lives that we expect it. And we don't see it as grace and mercy. And there are sometimes our prayers aren't answered in the affirmative of what we want. Then we start to think that God has failed when God could be using those things simply to bring us back to himself. I think we always like to talk about humanity's free will, but I will tell you God's will is always freer than ours. God's will is perfectly free. And I think he brings about this, this calamity in Jonah's life in order to bring Jonah to the place that Jonah needed to be. And I think Jonah has the presence of mind in these moments and suffering to appeal to his God, despite the fact that he knows this adversity in his life came from God himself. And so he cries out to God because God's the only one that hears. And the question is, do we do that in the midst of our pain? When we find it to a place where we can't see the other side, do we cry out to God? And again, this is the real sign that God pursues us. One writer says this, Many people under the crucible of pain in their lives do not persevere under the pressure, but run further away from God in disdain and bitterness. And if that is true, if that is true, then what hope do we have if God is not our pursuer? if God is not the one who is opening our minds to see who he is in the midst of those moments. So this is, this is what Jonah says, verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. My life was fainting away. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. 
sometimes my wife and I will watch these TV shows, and in these TV shows, people will like dive underwater and they'll hold their breath and try and swim somewhere. And so sometimes we'll go. <gasps> Does anybody do that? Or it's just us. Nobody. Okay. Okay. So, and it's always like, they, they get to the top, and they're all, and I'm like, I would die every single time, and no matter what we watch. But this is, this is where Jonah is. Jonah gets drugged down to the deep, and that's what he's saying. I am to the place where, the, where I am losing my vision. I am starting to go, and that's when God sends the fish. That's when God pulls him up. And then you get to verse 8, which is one of my favorite verses. Jonah says this, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. Oh, so good. Those who pay regard to main idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. But, he says, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah, in this moment, realizes that God is his deliverer. Not any man-made thing, not any idol, not any other deity, but God himself. And what you see in the belly of the beast, in the hardship that he went through, Jonah realizes a few things, which is good for us to realize. First off, that he was beginning to trust in something other than God, namely himself. Namely himself. And he becomes refocused. Second, he'd become to create a nationalistic idol out of his country, Israel. Do we as Americans do that? Uh, No. Okay. Uh, Thirdly, he had begun to expect blessings from God simply because he was an Israelite, simply because he was from the chosen race. Sometimes as Christians, we think, well, I deserve blessing from God. That's what I need. God is not obligated to bless us. What God does in our lives is simply grace. And a few weeks ago, I talked about Nicodemus and Jesus telling me he needs to be born again. The whole idea is the same thing for Jonah. Jonah, you're not saved because you're an Israelite. You're not saved because you're an American. We are saved because we trust in what Christ did for us. And Jonah starts to realize that. And everything changes. Why? Because he was swallowed by this fish. Because of the adversity in his life. I have seen chaotic times turn prideful people humble and angry people kind and sarcastic people genuine. I've seen it do the opposite as well. But when we allow the pain in our lives to teach us, God does reshape us. And what you see at the end of chapter 2, it ends much like the end of chapter 1. Jonah's plight is very similar to the sailors. In Jonah 1.16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Well, in Jonah chapter 3 and 4, you see the Ninevites kind of do the same thing. They tear their clothes, put dust on, they walk around and wail because of the sin that they notice. They are making vows to the Lord. And here, at the end of chapter 2, through the adversity, Jonah does the same thing. Now, for an Israelite in these moments of worship, in Leviticus 7, you're supposed to do that with unleavened wafers. You can't really do that in the belly of a fish with a big tongue stick stuck next to you, because again, it's not Pinocchio, but what he does is he makes those vows. What you see is Jonah, a Jewish prophet, is no different before our great God and Savior than these pagan sailors or these evil Ninevites in this city. We all need the grace of God. That's what you see in his life. And in the end, he will come with thanksgiving and humility, trusting that God is the only one who can grant him mercy and can grant him life because God did grant him mercy and grant him life. And in his vows, he most likely includes this thing that says, and I will go and do what you called me to go and do. I'll fulfill my mission to those Ninevites. Even though he still wasn't happy about it, he did what God called him to do. God gives Jonah this great mercy and privilege of not just a second chance, but probably a thousandth chance, because over and over and over, God comes to draw us to himself. Jonah will go to a lost people, and he will tell them about this God of grace and love and freedom and truth. And God says the same thing 
to us, every single one of us. We must get our eyes off of ourselves and get them on to where they are supposed to be. What God is doing in the world with the good news of the gospel. Christianity is for all people, all languages, all ethnicities. Jonah forgot this, as sometimes we forget. Salvation comes from the Lord, not from us, not from politics, not from legislation, but from the Lord. And so for us, our questions are questions Jonah had to answer. Do we remember that salvation is from the Lord? That salvation is for all people. And in our times of distress, how do we approach God? I'm going to date myself a little bit here. Um, 30 years ago, there was this major league pitcher named Dave Jervecki. Uh, some of you might have heard of him. I don't know. But he had this, this side. It always looked painful when he pitched because he did this big sidearm thing like that. It was like, ah. Oh. Well, one day, they, they find in his arm cancer. And so they go and they cut out the cancer, take out a large part of the muscle that is in his arm. And he goes to rehab and therapy, and eventually he comes back to pitch again. He writes a book about it called Comeback. It's very creative. Um, So he comes back, and he starts to pitch again. First game, he wins, two to one. He's like, wow, that's amazing. Next game, he is pitching in. He's throwing the ball, and there's an audible snap as his arm snaps when he throws the ball. They find that the cancer is back. They wouldn't have known if his arm didn't snap, and they have to take his arm off. This is the belly of the beast. What do you do? You know, if you make your money on your arm, what happens when you don't have that arm anymore? He writes another book that's called When You Can't Come Back. Kind of interesting. And it's about being in the belly of the fish. And this is what he writes. In America, Christians pray for the burden of suffering to be lifted from their backs. In the rest of the world, Christians pray for stronger backs so they can bear their suffering. Now, he's not saying that you shouldn't pray for suffering to be lifted from your back. He says, but typically in America, with with our focus, is that we are always wanting not to have to go through the suffering, not to want to learn from it. When a lot of other parts of the world, we pray for the strength to walk through it so we can learn what God wants us to learn as we walk through it with him. That's what he's saying. Jonah in the belly of the beast. He's a sense he is reborn. He gains this whole new perspective, another chance to serve his God which means sometimes we are people who will find ourselves in the belly of a beast, maybe through our own choices or maybe something that people have done to us, and we will kick and scream, and in the end, we realize we can only cry out to the Lord. Jonah cries to God, and God hears him. The Ninevites cry to God. God hears them. The sailors cry to God. God hears them. Mike Turner cries to God. God hears him. David Becky cries to God. God hears him. And we don't know why God allows all that he allows, but God is for us. And this is what you read. Chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. I know, you never want to talk about vomit in church, but there you go. Uh, it's, it's right there. In the belly of the fish, Jonah recognizes that God and only God is his deliverer, and only God will be the deliverer of all the people on the earth. Jonah reinforces to us that none of us are beyond the grace of God. People are called, they're rebuked, they're spoken to. We mess up and run, and God comes again and again and again until we change. Until we change. What we need to understand is that God doesn't need us. God didn't need Jonah. God could have used anyone. God could have done it himself. But what he wants to do is change the sailors. He wants to change the Ninevites. And he wants to change Jonah. And this is how it is for us. Sometimes we think that God sends us out into the world to preach the gospel to fix and change all those horrible sinners. And I have to tell you, one of the reasons that God sends us into the world is so he would transform us as well as we speak the gospel. Because we are just like Jonah. We have run and run and God pursues. And he will pursue us until he overtakes us. Jonah will actually go to Nineveh, as I said. He will preach a five-word sermon in Hebrew. Didn't really give it a, his best effort there. And he will walk away and see what God will do. You know what God does? He changes their hearts. 
because God is good. And Jonah still wasn't happy about it, which shows you that Jonah wasn't perfect. But God is. But God is. And we, too, have been sent to proclaim this gospel to the entire world. But we cannot rightly proclaim repentance of sin and the beauty of grace until we, like Jonah, experience it ourselves by repenting exactly how he did. You know what repenting means? It means to return. That we return to who God has called us to be as a people. We stop our running. We turn around and say, okay, God, what do you want in my life? How do you want to grow me? And that's what we come back to. We repent. We we return. We We only do that, though, by understanding what the gospel actually is of God's rescue of us. Now, I'm going to invite the band to come up. And as they do, this morning, we always try and move you to a place where if you are so inclined, you would take communion. Because it's a reminder of what God does in the gospel as he chases us down. Sometimes people get to a place and they say, oh, I really do want to serve God. I want to give all my life to him. But we have no righteousness of our own. We, we don't have the right to be brought back into God's presence without God doing something to bring us into his presence. And this is what communion represents, that God came to us in our broken places, in our running, to draw us back to himself. And this is why in communion you have a, you have a cracker. And my thing is I always say we should break the cracker because it reminds us of Christ's body that was broken for us. And then you either drink or dip it in the grape juice. If you're watching online, you can have wine or whatever, but it's a reminder that Jesus is the one whose blood was shed for us, that his body was broken. Everything in the book of Jonah Jesus talks about was to point directly to him and what he would do to save us. As I said, Jonah and his rebelliousness and running, he was forgiven ultimately by Christ. That's where everything goes. And that communion, that's what we remember in the places we have run, in the places where we are in the belly of a beast and can't see our way out. God hears us in those moments, and he has not left us, and he is with us. As we walk through all of those hard places and hard things, he calls us back to himself. And this is what we remember in communion today. Um, If you need prayer, maybe you're in a place where you feel like you're in the belly of something and can't see the way out of it, and you want someone to pray with you. Maybe you've never even heard of what the good news of the gospel is in the midst of where you are. Well, we'd love to talk to you about that. I just talk to Sarah at the Welcome Center. We'll connect you with somebody this morning to pray and talk with you and walk with you through some of these things because our lives are not meant to be done on our own. We are meant to do them in community with each other, and we would love to be able to pray with you. There's offering boxes next to all the doors we give because God gives so much to us, giving us part of our worship. We see that God is generous throughout the scriptures, so we become a generous people. And I also encourage you this week to take just that simple question that's on the back side of those sermon notes. And maybe if you... If you meet someone in here, you can talk about that. If you have a friend who isn't here, you can explain to them the story of Jonah. Uh, this guy ran from God and got swallowed by a fish and he prayed to God. Uh, here, here's a question. And, and maybe take that moment to go a, a little bit deeper in, in, in what's going on in your own life, what God is doing in you, and begin to use that as a way to springboard into speaking about the gospel that brings transformation to our entire world that we get to be God's hands and feet and spokespeople of what God is doing. No matter how many times we've run away or failed or done the, the dumb thing, God still redeems us and restores us and sends us to be his children and ambassadors to this world, which is grace. As much as Jonah ran and did the dumb things, God brought him back and sent him again. And he used Jonah, just like he will use every single one of us as his people, to proclaim the good news of who he is. Let's be those people 
who proclaim the good news of how God has rescued us from all the places that we have been because he is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would take us and teach us to remember the goodness of who you are, that we would see all those places that we have run from you, where we placed ourselves in the belly of something that wants to destroy us by our own decisions, or even the things that have happened to us that we had no control over. And in those places, God, I ask that we would not get to a place where we would cease to cry out to you. Like maybe it's something we just do over and over and over and keep falling back in that same thing. So often in those moments, the, the enemy wants to come to us and say, you have no right to call out to God. He doesn't want to hear you. And yet you do. You want us to cry to you in all of our moments. And you don't forsake us. You come to us to draw us back to yourself, to put us in your family, to redeem and restore, and then send us on mission in this world. Father, have the moments in our lives that reflect Mike Turner or Dave Drabecki or Jonah to be those moments that bring us back to you. And then in joy, we would step out into this world, praising who you are because of your goodness and being willing to speak of that goodness because of your great rescuing love for us. Teach us to live as your children because we understand what you have done for us in the gospel. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen.